Uh, hey, what's up, friends? Welcome to the Deconstruction Zone. It looks a little different this week than it usually does. It's not Emily uh, and me or even Dustin and me, but we're going back to Zoom and we're having a kind of interview conversation. Uh, and I'm excited about this one. So we have Marla Taviano. Uh, you're joining us. And I don't want to spoil your introduction. So I thought what would be the best thing for us to do is if you just want to tell us kind of who you are Um and maybe why you're intrigued and interested in the deconstruction conversation and maybe some of the stuff, cause we'll get to this later, but also some of the stuff you're contributing to the overall deconstruction conversation, just so people get an idea of kind of who you are and why you're here with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Danny. I um, grew up, I've been a Christian for as long as I could remember. And, and one of the kinds of Christians that's super zealous about Jesus and God <laughs> okay. and making sure that everyone can get saved and go to heaven forever with me. And um, I, I grew up in a very small town, very white town. Um, I never would have called my Christianity white conservative evangelical Christianity. To me, okay. it was just yeah. Christianity. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know the labels, didn't know how sheltered I was. I went to a public school, but a lot of my teachers were Christians. Some of them went to my church and I went to a, went on to go to a Christian college. And then I did my student teaching in Japan. I went to a Christian church camp, met my future husband. We got married. We had three daughters. This is in 2000, 2002 and 2006. Um, fast forward through a bunch of stuff. He had a heart attack at the age of 34 and almost died. Right after that, we okay. took a family trip to Cambodia for five weeks, came back um, in January of 2012 and planned to move to Cambodia to be missionaries. And then he ended up in the ER with um, what we thought was another uh, heart attack. It was panic attacks. And that led to three years of anxiety and panic attacks, losing our house and his job and all of that. In 2014, we moved to an, into an apartment complex. Um, it was all we could afford at the time. And it was primarily Somali refugees in Columbus, Ohio. And we made a bunch of really amazing friends from Eritrea and Somalia, Nepal and Mexico. And then in January of 2015, we did move to Cambodia where we lived until March, 2020. And we moved back um, on literally the last plane out of our city after a bunch of cancellations, had to leave our oldest and her Cambodian fiance in the country because his um, visa interview was canceled because the embassy was closed. We get back, we moved to South Carolina. I'm originally from Ohio and we didn't want to go back to the cold. And there was a lot of um, some tricky situations up in Ohio, people who had disowned me for being a heretic, because that also happened while I was there <laughs> in yeah. Cambodia. I started deconstructing my faith and coming up with some new ideas. In um, September of 2020, so just a few months after we got back, my husband uh, left unexpectedly, said he wanted a divorce. And in January of 2021, I found out that he had been cheating on me for four of the five years that we lived in Cambodia. Um, so right now I am um, a single mom of four older kids who all live with me. Uh, my son okay. is 25, my daughters are 22, 20 and 17. And um, we have survived all of the things that we have been through. And I wouldn't say it's been easy. Um, I would say that I am in a really good place as far as I, I know who I am and who I want to be. And I have a lot of cool things going on. So I, I read and write for a living. Most of the reading and writing I do is um, just a labor of love. I don't get paid for it. And then I've got my okay. book, which I get paid a little bit for. And then I write for other people as my, as my day job. Okay. Um, but I, I started um, deconst deconstruction. I don't know when I first heard the word. I'm sure I started doing it way before I heard about it. Um, around 2008, 9, 10. And um, I was talking to you before we started about how it, it really was just a slippery slope. From yeah. <laughs> the, first, the first thing that kind of happened, um, I think, was that I read a book called The Hole in Our Gospel. And okay. the author is saying that if you, if your gospel isn't good news for um, AIDS orphans in Uganda, then how is it really good news? And if you're going yeah. there and just telling them Jesus died for your sins, you get to go to heaven, but they're um, suffering and dying here on earth, then something's missing from your gospel. And that kind of threw me for a loop. 
And from there, we helped plant a multi-ethnic church in our city. I woke up to racism and white supremacy. Um, and then, yeah, the dominoes just all fell. So where am I now? Where have I landed? Um, I have not landed anywhere. And I actually wrote a poem about that in my, in my first book. And I say first book. First book, um, as in when I started over in 2021, I was a Christian author with traditionally published books in 2006, okay. seven, eight, and nine. Books like From Blushing Bride to Wedded Wife, they were all very um, cliche, marriage, sex, and motherhood. Okay. <laughs> books. You I wrote those it. books. That's like a book I, you wrote. I wrote those books. Okay. And they were published and they were out in the world and I still have them now and they make me want to vomit, <laughs> but I'm, I'm working on going back through them right now to see um, kind of what went wrong. No, to see, I am diving back into my past just to understand myself more. It's helping me understand yeah. others who are still where I was. And it's not that I'm trying to get people to where I am. I just want people to be honest. I want people to um, to know the truth, the truth of history, the truth of Christianity, the truth of the Bible not being something that we take literally, like I thought for so long. And um, my main thing is, I don't care what you believe, as long okay. as your beliefs are not harming other people. And that's, that's just kind of my, my guideline. Like, do your beliefs harm people? Well, then I think you shouldn't have them. <laughs> yeah. Do they do they not harm people? Well, then go for it. And a, an example I give is heaven and hell. Um, I do not believe in an eternal conscious torment like I used to believe. Yeah. Um, so I don't believe there's a fiery hell that people go to if they don't say the right words in a prayer. <laughs> what do I believe about heaven? That I don't know. So I'm not here to take away anybody's comforting beliefs about heaven because yeah. I too would like a heaven for my loved ones to go to and yeah. me to go to after this life is over. Um, but hell, I don't see any reason why hell is a comforting belief for people. If you are comforted by the fact that people who believe differently than you are going to spend eternity in hell, then, then I have a problem with that. And especially if you're treating people who are different than you as if they deserve that kind of hell. Yeah. Um, that's what I would call a harmful belief. So, so yeah, that's yeah, me. That's where I'm at. Yeah. There's a lot of like, that's such an interesting thought, like thing to think about. Like, so I mean, I'm a United Methodist pastor. Uh, and so I don't know how well okay. you know the Methodist world, but one of like our core tenants, uh, and we're as a church right now, we're like in the midst of dividing over some theological issues, uh, primarily around human sexuality, but yeah, yeah. a, a common, uh, a common refrain, even in the most conservative and the most progressive sides is to kind of do no harm, do good and like stay mm -hmm. in love with God. And mm -hmm. I hear a little bit of that in what you're talking about, right? It's like, yeah, like my faith is about trying to do the most good I can. Um, even though I don't know that you're like would identify, as you said, like with the same Christian God, you always do like, there's some like you want to you want to be doing some level of greater good. And in all yeah. of that to not harm those around you, which I think is a really like, interesting uh but not even like interesting in a weird way like an interestingly good like lens for us to put on like whether we're christian atheist agnostic muslim whatever like yeah. to say our beliefs at the core like if they're harming people there might be something inherently wrong with them and i think that points back to like some of the stuff and how we digest scripture and whatnot but i wonder so uh so you talked about like you've been on this journey do you have like a, a singular moment? Like, cause Emily and I talk a lot about the Jenga tower, right? So like we're pulling mm. blocks away mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't even realize you pull them away. And then all of a sudden the tower is in shambles in front of you. Right. Um, <laughs> so do you have like a, a, a big catalytic or singular moment where like, Oh, you're like, Oh shit. Like the tower's gone. Or was it just kind of like you all of a sudden you looked and there was no more tower. Like what was that journey like from you from, day one of realizing you're kind of pulling some pieces out to where yeah. you're at now? Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a singular moment, but there definitely were singular moments, <laughs> like different okay. different things that happened. Um, I, I usually trace it back to um, Rachel Held Evans. I credit her with, with literally okay. changing my life. And when her book came out, it's called Faith Unraveled now, but it was called Evolving in Monkey Town. 
And I can't remember how I first heard about her on the internet, but someone, I used to blog, I, I did all this stuff. I'm writing all this yeah. crap from a conservative Christian point of view, trying to be funny. It was um, whatever. But I found out about her book and I bought it and I started reading it and I shut it <laughs> and put it off to the side. And the reason I couldn't handle it. Um, the cognitive dissonance was just too jarring for me. And what it was, was that she and I were so much alike. Like we were yeah. these zealous Christian girls at a public school trying to witness to our classmates. I was co-valedictorian. The speech I wrote was a proselytizing sermon that I got okay. up in front of everybody and said she was doing the same thing. So I am seeing that she and I are identical. She is just as on fire as I am. And now she is asking these questions that are terrifying me because she's not just some random person from the outside coming and pushing buttons and playing devil's advocate. She's me and she's asking these questions and I couldn't do it. And I don't know how long, I don't know how long it was the time that passed between when I closed that book and when I opened it back up again, but it, it changed everything because she was asking all of these questions like, so when um, during the Holocaust, when these Jewish people were put in these ovens and killed, were they waking up in hell? So th is this how this was happening? Like they and and she would just go on and on and on to all these. And I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, like I can't. And from there, I just started reading other authors and it started out. There were a lot of white authors. I was reading Pete Enns and Rob Bell and Sue Monk Kidd. Rob Bell is another one. His book, Love Wins, I bought that maybe in 2011, yeah. 2012, opened it up, thought, crap, I can't, I can't read this either. I shut it. And I didn't open that one again for a few years after that. But um, so that was one moment. My my white supremacy racism moment was when Trayvon Martin was killed in 2012. And we had already been at this um, church for a while um, that was started by a black pastor. It was the intentionally multi-ethnic. Um, I was waking up to a lot of things, but it had kind of been smooth sailing until Trayvon was killed. And one of my new friends said, why aren't my white friends talking about this? I didn't sure. know what she, what she meant. I Googled it. And then I started just learning and unlearning as much as I could about US history, police brutality, mass incarceration, all of these issues that I had been oblivious to because I didn't mm. I didn't need to know. Um, as far as becoming LGBTQ plus affirming, that singular moment for me was a, a blog series by a man named BT Harmon. At the time he was going by the name Brett Trapp. It was called Blue Babies Pink. And he grew up in a, I wanna say a Southern Baptist home, son of a preacher and prayed every day over and over and over again for his whole entire life that God would take the gay away because he knew mm. that it was a sin. and that he wasn't the first person whose story I read so completely, but that put me over the top because I thought there's no way that yeah. you can be so faithful and be in church and read the Bible and pray every single day for 30 years and God doesn't take it away. And, and I'm supposed to believe that you're, you're sinning, you're evil, you're yeah. wrong. And I thought, no, I can't do that. So a lot of, um, a lot of different moments, but it really was, um, there's a lot of truth to all the analogies about the unraveling of the sweater, the slippery slope, the dominoes, yeah. um, because you just naturally want to know if some, if one thing I believe my whole life turned out to be really, really wrong. What about this other thing? What about this other thing? What about this other thing? Yeah. And I'm still kind of on that journey of discovering those things, but I, I don't actually care right now. <laughs> I don't actually care sure. what the Bible says about this or that. Um, I still think the Bible's got a lot of good stuff in it. I still learn sure. a lot from that. I'm reading it. Um, I'm not reading the Bible necessarily, but reading books by Black womanist scholars and other people who love the Bible, but they're approaching it from a very different um, yeah. point of view than I did growing up, which was largely dead white men, I think, is, is yeah, where right. I got I mean, most of my they held, theology. They held the pen for a long time, uh, and, and which I, has been so wonderful to like see that the, the yeah. eclecticness of voices, like 
black liberation theology and uh-huh. feminist theology and like so many other voices um are now like not like uh, a novelty but like are actually like strong voices in the space which are helping rattle in some ways like because like for for you and me i mean we have different experiences i'm a straight white guy you're a white woman right like so mm-hmm. we have like different experiences in that regard but like white christian general evangelicalism like we've all yeah. kind of been consuming the same content yeah. and i remember the first time i like i read james cone i was like oh like other people like read the exodus story far different than i do right and yeah. it was like it was yeah. an eye-opening experience yeah and yeah. um which i think is cool for like our audience and probably your audience um like as they consume it like if the very least being like hey there's other like we can faithfully dive into scripture but like my perspective is not the only faithful way to do that right which i think is really important for us to understand um so uh i kind of cut you off for a second were you going to continue your thought i want to let you finish what I, you say real quick i was just going to comment on something you said earlier about being a united methodist oh yeah preacher um so <laughs> fun story for me personally I have a great uncle. So my um, my mom's uncle, Grayson, who's 86 years old, he um, was a United Methodist minister for years and years, has since okay. retired. His son is now a United Methodist minister. And um, when I was growing up, my experience of Uncle Grayson was that he was kind of the black sheep of the family. I remember yeah. my parents saying, well, Uncle Grayson's not really saved. He <laughs> like he marched in a pride parade, like these different things. So in my mind, that's what I thought. Yeah, he's a nice guy, a little bit eccentric, but we need to pray for his soul because sure. he's not on the right track here. He does not believe like we believe. Well, fast forward to 2015 when I was living in Cambodia and I had started putting things on, on Facebook, on Instagram, yeah. like things like, things that I was changing my mind and heart about. And some people were all in an uproar about it. My sister, one of my sisters ended up disowning me over this, like just from stuff I put on the internet. But my uncle Grayson's daughter, so my second cousin, first cousin once removed or whatever she is to me, she reached out and said, "Um, based on some of the things you've been putting on the internet, I, I wondered if you would be interested in helping my dad edit and write his book. And it's called the clergy dance and it's about his life as a united methodist minister sure. and and at first i was like oh i don't want my family to find out that, I, that i'm helping uncle grayson but that turned out to be this really 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 cool experience because i am now seeing it from the other side and i'm writing yeah. about him being accepting of this gay man in his church and, and helping his black friends get housing when they were denied and all of these the human rights, civil rights things that he was doing that whole entire time that I was sitting back thinking, oh, well, you're not a Christian. And then he went on to buy 10 copies of my first book. He bought five copies of my second book. He's given them out to people. And most of the people in my family aren't reading my books, would never share my books, <laughs> are very unhappy with where I have, where I've turned out. And there's Uncle Grayson. So that was just, um, that's a pretty special thing to me that that he's a part of my life yeah. and my story and has forgiven me for <laughs> yeah. for all the things that I used to believe about him uncle grayson for the win you know methodist yeah. united methodists were not all bad so uh <laughs> it, but it, I, I i maybe empathize with him in that way that there's uh cuz i'm like one of the things i'm like a uh, inclusive pastor of the lgbtq community i want to fight the best I can to combat racial injustice, though I know there's exponentially more that I could do. And there are certain things in that regard, though, like some of my more evangelical friends or fundamentalist friends would be like, well, you're just kind of like, you're choosing social justice over the real gospel. And I was like, and it's like, it seems to me, um, cause I have a very high view and value of scripture. Like I'm still very yeah. much team Jesus and team Christian. Right. And so, and mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't, I can't see any other way to read the scripture than to be one that's like a deeply devoted to what Jesus would have called the greatest commandment, right? To love God and love yeah. neighbor and like mm-hmm. seek, seek justice. So, um, so when I, I, so when I dove into your book, uh, most recent one jaded, um, it's, it reads to me like the Psalms. And one of the things I say a lot is like, Ooh. uh, like, I think that this, like, I think it's really interesting when the new Testament was done, 
where like no one else can write anything. So Rob Bell writes a book or Francis Chan or whoever. I'm like, that's the letter to the church in America. Like I, I view them like that. Like I read mm-hmm. Christian literature as like letters to the modern day church. Yeah. And, and I, and I thought your, your book, as I was like going through some of the stuff, I was like, not only was it written very in pithy poetic ways, which I thought was wonderful just as, as someone consuming content. But I was like, this reads to me like a, a Psalm type kind of story or, or device. And so I guess I would just wonder, like you had an option to write whatever you wanted. You could have wrote a narrative. You could have, you could have dove into history and theology. Um, why choose the poetic direction and kind of the way you chose to tell the story you were trying to tell in Jaden? Okay, first of all, that's my new favorite compliment that it reads to you like the <laughs> Psalms. I love that. <laughs> I've yeah. not heard that one yet. So, um, well, I, I've been writing forever. So I, I started reading when I was four and I've not stopped since. I have poems actually from when I was in first grade that I have my actual okay. handwriting of these poems. And I tell people I wrote poems when I was six, seven and eight. And then I didn't write a poem again until I was 45. <laughs> so <laughs> in between there, I have book after book after book after book of prose. I have 10 years, 15 years of blogging, all prose, no poetry to be found. Um, And so when I wrote those four books that were traditionally published about conservative stuff, and then I did kind of a long stretch of self-published eBooks, all about my life, things that I was going through. Um, When I decided a few years ago that I, the next like logical thing to write about is this deconstruction that I'm going through. And I had a big, huge document. I was writing all this stuff down. It was long. Okay. It was, it was definitely narrative, definitely prose, but my mind kept changing. Things kept changing. Okay, and I yeah. thought, how do you tell this whole story without putting people to sleep, boring people, or I'm over this part now. And how do I say this? I couldn't figure it out. And that was new for me. Um, I think maybe being more certain in the past was helpful because I knew what I believed and I could put it in a book. And now that everything's changing, I couldn't keep up with it. And um, so when we moved back to the States in 2020 and my husband had a job for the first time and I thought, okay, here now pressure is off of me to earn some money. I'm going to work on this book. Well, then he left. And so all of these things conspired. I had less time. Uh, People have um, shorter attention spans. I had a shorter attention span and I was realizing that sometimes the things that packed the most punch were something that I came up with to put on Twitter or to put on Facebook that were were really short, really sweet. And in my work with, um, reading and reviewing books by black indigenous authors of color on my white girl learning Instagram account, I had started reading a lot of poetry. April is national poetry month. And so every April I would read all poetry. And some of the poetry is a little bit hard to understand. People say, I can't really get into poetry. I don't get it. Poetry is not monolithic. Like there are so many kinds of poetry. My poetry specifically is not me following some kind of um, formula or uh, it's not a craft that I developed. It, it really is just my own unique way of doing this. The poems aren't all the same, but they're all very clear. They're very, that's not, I have to figure out what she means here. I, I say what yeah. I mean. And sometimes it's even, I took a paragraph and I put it in the form of a poem, left out some words, put sure. some things. It's not, it's not rocket science and anyone could actually do it. If you've posted anything on social media, you could write poems like I do. Right. Now, I will say I am proud of several of them. There are lots of things that went into that. And it's not like I just plopped it on the page and, and there sure. it was. But at some point, and I get asked this all the time and I don't actually know what happened, but I decided less is more. I can pull some things out. I'm not going to try to tell the whole story. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Something that took 10, 12 years to happen and unfold. I don't know how to put all of that in there. And so I'm going to say less and then other people can fill in the blanks and I don't have to worry about covering all the bases. And it kind of went along with my whole freedom from having to prove what I believe. Because that was always the thing where 
someone would say something and I would need an airtight argument. I would need all of this sure. like cross-referencing. I would need proofs. I would need this and that. And, and I thought, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to put something out in the world. The word heretic is on the front cover. So yeah. no one can come to me and be like, you're a heretic. Well, I know that I am based on what I'm sure your definition of a heretic is. And it worked. And, and people, like, I'm floored by the people that come to me and say, you inspired me to write poems, or I wrote in the margins, or this, this poem is exactly my story, but I switched some words out, and now it's exactly okay. my story. And I could do this, or this gives me hope or whatever and so that's that's just kind of been the thing and i've been asked are you going to just keep writing poetry well yeah for the for the unforeseeable future like i i want i i'm going to do that because it's it's working for me and it it just it just really fits like it fits mm. where i'm at where i think other people are at it's easy to just share a poem um and other people get to share them and it doesn't tell my whole story and I can elaborate on it more. I have a sub stack where sometimes I'll share a poem and then kind of go into it a little bit more. But the things that I love are when people come to me and say, I love how you did this, this, and this with the poem. And it's something that I have no idea <laughs> yeah. that you would even see in the poem. So they think I'm smart and I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know that I did that, but that's great yeah. that you saw that. And then it's really interactive and people get like engaged with it. And, and yeah, so there are a lot of different reasons why yeah. it turned into that. I do sometimes miss being able to just spit out 2000 words in a row that go deep into how I feel about something, but I don't miss it enough to, yeah. to, to change well, how I'm doing it. And it also appears as if there's a different end goal, right? Like your, your end goal, I mean, it's easier. And I was a conservative evangelical, you could say fundamentalist, whatever. Like it's easier to write there. Cause it's like, I have the formula, like this is the yep. answer. Mm -hmm. And I work yeah. backwards from there. And it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm giving you this. And I love kind of what you're saying in this regard of, of the poetic nature of, it, because what I, what I have always found is everyone's deconstruction. There is no one size fits all cookie cutter deconstruction right. journey. Yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. And that's one of the things, and I'm not like a deeply artistic or poetic person, but I, I found this idea of like being, you can put yourself, it's one of the reasons I like the Psalms as someone that's not very articulate or mm -hmm. very artistic. It's like, I can put myself in these stories and I, I feel the emotions and it's, it's, yeah. it's quicker and it, it's like hits faster. And what I appreciate about your perspective as it relates to not just your book, but deconstruction is this idea that like, I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm not going to tell you my whole story but I'm going to give you some yeah. of the tools um, to maybe try to articulate where you are and, and how you're going through this and what all that is like. Um, and I think that's, I think it's a wonderful way to go about it. Cause I know for Emily, if Emily was here with us today, like one of the things she would have said uh, is that like this idea of deconstruction is like, it's hard to wrestle with. Like she had mm -hmm. every answer in her mm -hmm. backpack. Like she yeah. could pull it out. And, and the biggest and hardest thing for her to surrender was certainty, right? And mm -hmm. and the one yeah. size fits all, right? The the brand yeah. of Christianity she was sold was you don't need anything else. Like the Methodists yeah. down the road, like your uncle are nuts, and the other people down yeah. the road are nuts, and like we've got yeah. the only right formula. <laughs> and yeah. and I think as weird as that sounds, looking back for her, she was like there was comfort in knowing that we were the right mm -hmm. ones, and everyone else oh. sucked, and they were wrong. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I like, I like the way it seems as if you're going about this. It's like, you're not trying to supply everyone the answers, but you're trying to give them some tools to try to find their own emotions in place within the story. Um, and so I wonder for you, like, so deconstruction, when Emily and I started this podcast, uh, <laughs> there was a point where she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be real Christian again at the other side of it. Okay. Um, and we got to maybe episode 28, late 20s, early 30s, maybe. <laughs> and we we sat before we were recording. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but her and I were sitting down with our producer, Dustin. And um, she's like, guys, like, I don't know if I can record you. Like, I don't think I'm Christian enough for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And our producer, Dustin, was like, well, Emily, just so you know, you were never Christian enough for this podcast. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, but like one of the things that I thought was interesting of what she was saying underneath what she was saying is like, is this space still safe for me? Like, how long mm -hmm. is this going to take? 
And do I still have a voice to be a part of this? And I wonder just from you, for your perspective, like you've been at this for a while, you're you're contributing content to the deconstruction movement and you Mm -hmm. seem pretty, I don't, I wouldn't say comfortable in like a negative way, but you seem okay with where you're at currently. But what has that journey been like? Have you had those ups and downs where you're like, man, like, did I throw the baby out with the bathwater? Like, I need to go back to this. Or um, am I Christian enough or, or not Christian? Like, wh- where have you just, I mean, it's kind of an amorphous question, but where has your emotional journey been throughout this? Because I know that it can really be a roller coaster of emotions, of feeling like you're not a part of the collective you once knew and you've yeah. surrendered your beliefs, like even, even accepting the term heretic, which yeah, I also yeah. sometimes claim <laughs> with great joy. Uh, yeah. But like, that's an interesting part of the journey too, to be like, I'm okay for people to call me. That doesn't hurt my feelings anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to claim it. So what has that journey of kind of deconstruction over this whole process been like for you? Um, it has been, um, yeah, a lot of ups, a lot of downs. It was rough. Um, the hardest part, I think, was my sister disowning me when we were such good friends and then she refused to see me when we came back to visit the states so we um i saw her in 2016 and then this all happened around 2017 we came back to visit in 2018 and she um she and her husband would not see me so i haven't seen her since since 2016. um and so that was probably personally the the hardest thing um my parents and I have had some some rough patches. Um, they don't quite understand why I would um, forsake all the things that I grew up knowing. And they've, they've tried to, to understand some different things. My dad will try to listen to um, <laughs> podcasts or things that he thinks that I might, um, okay. that might build a bridge. But he also thinks that Fox News is like, middle ground (laughs) so i'm like yeah okay um so that so that has been tough what i do tell people i have i have a lot of people come to me because they say i don't know anybody else who's going through this or in my personal life i can't i cannot fathom that because i have met hundreds of people like everybody i know has so i i'm never alone even if i'm alone in my home or my town I'm not alone in the wider world and so I I do tell people I I cheated a little bit on this deconstruction journey because (laughs) I moved across the world in 2015 so in 2015 I'm on the other side of the world and I'm doing all of this from far away so I'm not in a church that I had to leave or stand up and like fight against people about things I'm not going into Target or Walmart and running into people that disowned me. Like I am on the other side of the world. When Trump got elected and all that happened, I was on the other side of the world. So I, um, I was able to do it kind of from a safe distance. Of course, that also got me into trouble because people are only now seeing what I post on the internet and they're forgetting what it's like to be in a living room with me, like my sister in particular, and sit down and chat face to face. They're forgetting that this is still the same Marla that they love, who they think is kind and loving and loves their kids. They're only seeing Facebook Marla, which doesn't come across (laughs) quite the same way. So so that was tough. Um, Right now, currently, I I it literally am just in this free space of love. Like I just love everybody. And I have friends who are still Christians. I have friends who are pastors. Um I was just talking to a pastor friend the other day and and they said like I see God in you. Like my friends will apologize when they say things about God to me because they know I'm not really besties with God right now. But the the bottom line is we have something in common and that is love like we 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 love each other we are um invested in each other we want each other to thrive and be whole and when you can just be in a relationship with someone like that and you are not concerned with what their theological beliefs are you're only concerned with do you do you love me? Do you care about me? Do you want me to thrive? Do you want all of humanity to thrive like I do? Then we can be friends. Like we can be in this together. 
and so much that I missed out on by thinking that people were either worthy of being in a relationship with me because they believe the same things or they're on the outside and they were a project for me to convert to Christianity, mm. to win to the Lord. And now I can just be on equal footing with everyone and all the new friends that I've made from, like I said, all, all different walks of life, whether they're atheist, agnostic, Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, any faith or no faith, it, it doesn't matter to me anymore. And I have no no concern with their eternal soul. Like if I don't say these words to them, they're going to go to hell and it's going to be my fault. That's off the table. And so it's just super freeing. And I, I make a lot of comparisons in both of my books um, between my divorce and my deconstruction. They didn't really necessarily have a whole lot to do with each other. They didn't, it, sure. they didn't cause each other or whatever. Um, but I talk about how, when, when my ex-husband first left and people would say to me, like, you're going to be so much better off without him. Like you're going to, it's going to be so whatever. And I get that sentiment. I do, but it was so much pain, yeah. like over the last two and a half years for me to get to where I now am, where I don't just start crying very often, yeah. or I, I don't feel that deep pain. Um, and the same thing with evangelical Christianity. On the other side of it, yes, it, there's beauty and freedom. But do you know the hell that I went through <laughs> to yeah. get to this spot? And that's that's what I want people to sit to see. That's why I don't just flit off in the sunset and say, "Wee, I'm a bird. Look, I'm free." I I go back and and, and show people through my books, through things that I say on social media, that. Yes, this is really, really hard. Yes, you're going through something really shitty right now. Yes. And yeah. then, yes, it, there is freedom and joy on the other side of it. And it's not really this line, the spectrum. It's not point A to point B to point C. Um, right. It's a mess. <laughs> but generally speaking, I am on, on the other side of it. I also talk about how my ex and evangelical Christianity both wanted me to be less than, smaller than, they wanted to push me down. They didn't like who I was when I was my full self. And so I now get to be more me. I get to be who I really am, who I was meant to be, created to be yeah. on the other side of a, a husband who put me down and evangelical Christianity that tried to crush me as well, just because I was a woman. So um, yeah, lots of parallels, but I'm in a really, really good spot. That's what I want for people. I want them to have the burden off their chest, off their shoulders. I want them to feel freedom, but not just freedom themselves. I want them to want freedom for everybody. I want yeah. them to want everybody to thrive. I want, I want everybody to be celebrated for who they actually are, who they are inside, who they want to be. And I think of my queer friends, especially who their whole lives if they grew up in the church or even if they didn't, they were, they had to deny a very core part of them and squash it down and say that it was evil and say that it was bad and try to get rid of it. And the freedom that takes a long time to get out from under that, yeah, that um, like internalized homophobia, transphobia. And so the rest of my life, and I hope I get a lot more life. I'm 47 right now. I hope I, I'd love to see it 100. Um, I just, am dedicating that to to loving my neighbor as I love myself and the love God part can also be in that I don't really know who God is to me um but I think back in the day when I did know I didn't really know because I don't think that God exists I think yeah. that God was a figment of my imagination as well so um so yeah loving God loving my neighbor yeah. loving myself is plenty enough to keep me busy yeah well i think that last thing you said i mean all of what you said was really wonderful but i resonated with the last part of like uh like i'm not like i'm good with loving neighbor and i want to i'm interested in maybe loving god but the god i was told to love <laughs> like was a yeah, i'm paraphrasing but like not the real god like a figment yeah. of my imagination right yeah mm -hmm. and i think what's interesting like i and i'm very similar like i my divorce parallels 
uh, my divorce and deconstruction are in, in, in no way connected, but I draw parallels. Mm -hmm. And one of the things yeah. I, I've been recently reflecting on is like my ex-wife is not all women, right? And the God I was told about is not, I believe, the real God of the scripture, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. I think that was an interesting turning point for me to be like, um, because I had this traumatic and terrible thing happen in my marital life, like it wasn't like I was throwing out every potential for a relationship again. And I'm married and we have uh, a bonus child. So we had all this wonderful stuff going on. And so mm -hmm. like, and I would have not imagined that to happen for how traumatic that was. And I think that's yeah. one of the things Emily and I've talked a little about too, is like the God that she was told about, that's like shitty and traumatic, right? That's like mm -hmm. hard to reconcile. And like, there's, yeah. you cannot give someone a timeline to get over it. But one yeah. of my encouragements to her, and it sounds like you're saying a similar thing is like, one thing we can all agree on, whether we all make it back to the God of the Bible, is that the God that you were told about, Emily, yourself, myself growing up, this kind of fundamentalist, really exclusionary God, mm -hmm. is really not the God of the Bible. Um, yeah. And really not the God at the core of what early Christians believed um, yeah. and what I think is the core of Christianity. I think that's an interesting thing to wrestle with is like, where we where do we pull in something to learn from our past trauma? but also cast vision for where we're going, but also not rush people through it. Cause I bet, I mean, was sharing divorce and part of our stories. I bet you had as many people as I did, like, uh, you know, just get over it or get on the other side. Or, yeah. like, or like, like, I remember people trying to set me up on dates before like the papers dried on my divorce. I was like, let me mm. be divorced for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, and so yeah. it's like, I think in faith, people do that too. They try to rush us through this. And there is so much healing that happens just in like the pausing and the waiting um, and the reflecting in all of that, not just in divorce, but in, um, in our faith life as well. So, um, yeah, when you said that about like, not all women, not all, like not God, um, I, I, I feel that same way about, and I have no interest right now in, in dating. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just loving, like getting to, to know myself and to be by myself. Yeah. And I, the kind of my, my philosophy, I think behind that is, I am going to work on being this whole, complete, wonderful person that maybe someday would attract another whole, complete, wonderful person. <laughs> yeah. But if, if he doesn't come along, that's fine because I'm cool with, <laughs> with my own yeah. whole, You're whole and complete stuff. Now, right? <laughs> yeah. But when, about men, I had put on, uh, on Instagram a few weeks ago that there will be times I, I've had some back and neck problems. So I stretch every morning and every evening, and that has really helped me a lot. I do it on a yoga yeah. mat. And there's every once in a while, I will just start crying on the yoga mat. I don't actually know why. And it's it, this, the most recent time, it was that a man in my life had said something kind to me. And I realized that when men in my life are kind to me, I am shocked and surprised because my yeah. ex-husband was unkind to me. And that's yeah. kind of what I, what I learned to expect. And then it made me sad that I feel surprised when men are kind yeah. to me and I wish that I wasn't. And so I was just experiencing this and I shared it and it was just resonated with so many people. And I yeah. had men coming to me and saying that they were, they were so like, that just made them sad that that was like that. And they understood and they wished that more men would spend time on their yoga mats. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it was just a really, it was a really healing thing for me yeah. to, um, and that is something that has come into my life lately, male friends or my, my brother-in-law, my brother, my dad, these kind men who say kind things to me, are loving to me, are helpful, they respect me. And so I'm, I'm careful. Um, it's not all men, like it's not, and it's not all yeah. white men. I also talk to that. I speak to that in, yeah. in Jaded some about white men getting a bad rap for a very, very, very good reason. Um, but I have since met some good white men who are doing their best to not be like all the yeah. other white men. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, cool kind of thing and I, I'm learning like I said my Christian friends my pastor friends we talk about God and I'm realizing oh you are describing a very different God sure. than I know I could actually get behind that God that my problem is using the word God 
I associate God with this certain yeah, God. And so, much so, other stuff, yeah, right? so do so many people who are listening to me. So what am I to do with that? If I mm. were to say, guess what? I have this really cool new relationship with God. And they're like, whoa, hold up. We thought you didn't like him. I'm like, well, it's not him. It's, so, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's somebody different. So yeah, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm working through. How do I describe where I am and what I what I feel and what I think well, using the same kind of language yeah. that means something else entirely to most people? Yeah. I don't I don't know. I'm still yeah. working on that. Language and and I language makes it so interesting. Your your yoga mat story is really interesting because it's like you could get a hundred people on a yoga mat, right? And they wouldn't have mm -hmm. that experience, but it's like, mm. it has this kind of visceral thing for you. And I think naming yeah. or that experience in singular did. And so it's like, there is this interesting, like we, and this is what I like about your book is like, we can't get in everyone else's heads. And so being in mm -hmm. our own helps us process to become these whole complete versions of ourselves. And I actually yeah. do at a very deep level believe as we do that for ourselves, like if the light of Christ is in me, as I let that light shine brighter, it helps other people do the same, right? And so as I become yeah. whole and mm -hmm. healthy, it's actually allowing other people, um, not because my light's so much brighter, but like they're starting to see like, oh, I can actually be really me, right? I, I can be the yeah. person I was created to be. So um, so we could talk, we're, we've gone for about 45 minutes. I feel like I could talk to you for <laughs> three hours. You're very easy to talk to. Um, but before, I want to kind of wrap us up. And so yeah. I think we've dipped into your stuff, but just kind of share like what some of the work you've done, where people can find it and where people can find you. Cause I think our listeners, one of the things they enjoy about episodes like this is it opens their eyes to a new set of content and resources they can find. Yeah. So like whether it's your writing, your blogging, your social media, like just tell people what you're doing and where they can find you. Yeah. I hang out most of the time on Instagram and Twitter and that's at Marla Taviano on both places. And then I also have at white girl learning on Instagram, which is where I okay. read and review all of those books. And that has been in a, that's a really cool space where people just can learn and grow and share together. And um, I do have a website, marlataviano.com that I don't, I, I need to update some, some things there. Um, you can buy, you can find Unbelieve and Jaded there. Um, my publisher is Lake Drive Books. So lakedrivebooks.com um, has a way that you can buy Jaded. And then my Substack is marlataviano.substack.com. And that is, um, I know people are getting inundated by Substack newsletters right now. So I've tried to keep mine just like my books. I, keep I actually don't even sweet. know what is Substack. I've never <gasps> oh, heard of it before. Oh, okay. Well, look it up. Become a free subscriber to my Substack after we yeah. <laughs> shut this I'm going to check it out. Um, it's kind of the new blogging platform. It's a newsletter. Like I have a paid, okay. a paid part. My free part is a, is a poem every Thursday. So just Thursday mornings at 7 a.m., there will be a new poem, or it might be a poem from my book, and then I share a little bit of backstory. But that, okay, I keep cool. it short and sweet because I know that people don't have time to read a thousand words from everybody. And then the paid part, like I, I pay to read a lot of my friends, particularly black and brown friends, um, to read their sub stack. It's like $5 a month. So it's kind of my, instead of, giving my tithes to a church, I give these yeah. micro reparations to, to my friends. Um, and then I have a paid portion of mine too, that's $5 a month. And it's actually called writing whole farted, which is a, a whole different thing. Um, but it's a writing community because people okay. ask me pretty much every day, how do you get a book published? What, what advice do you have for me for writing and all of this? And I tell them as a nice person, I'd love to give you advice, I do not have the time. I am a single mom. I work full time. I'm trying to write books. I'm reading 250 books a year. But if you join this writing community, you will have access to my mind. You can ask me questions. Um, there's like 25 people in the in the community right cool. now. They're all writers, aspiring writers. They do guest posts. It's it's a lot of fun. So, um, Substack definitely check out Substack. Not just mine, but all the other ones. I'll and then, check it out. So yeah, so Unbelieve, um, I recommend, Jaded, I recommend any books that you see with the name Marla Taviano on them that are not those two books, do not read them <laughs> because they are <laughs> the old Marla Taviano. And then there will be a third book. It's going to be a trilogy that will be coming okay. out probably the beginning of 2024. I'm not sure yet. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's where well, I'm at. Maybe, I, love, uh, I love meeting new people. So Yeah, well, this has been a lot of fun. Maybe Emily and I 
we'll uh, do a book review of your first book and on the <gasps> podcast. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Yeah, I'm sad that I didn't get to meet Emily. Tell her that I said yeah. hi. Well, I'll tell yeah. you that, and this isn't self-deprecating humor, though that is one of my love languages. Uh, Emily is exponentially smarter and more fun than I am, so she's <laughs> she's she's the backbone of this of this podcast. And so, uh, and I will say, just as I don't gas her up enough she's like truly one of the brightest theological minds even though she's not mm. sure if any of what she was sold she believes in anymore but yeah. if there's someone that's gonna like tell you what they believe and be able to find scriptural backing for it mm. um she's your person and what i've loved about her process of unlearning to kind of like build up a new bag of of resources because she's one of the sharpest minds out there she's just been given mm. a lot of crappy tools i feel like um, yeah. So it's like now she's getting some better tools to go about that journey. She sounds like my kind of person. So what you actually need to do is Emily and I need to have a book club about my first. I think book, that's probably true. Not you. <laughs> yeah, there actually was a part of me that was like, maybe I should have Emily do this episode. Uh, but Emily, Emily has had a fever this week, and so Aww, I'm trying to I'm yeah. trying to cover as much as I can this week. So. Okay. Um, well, let let me know what you decide. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll leave you back in. Well, uh, Marla, I really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, we usually end with uh, a, a prayer. A similar, uh, that's what every, every guest says that when I get there. Um, we kind of end with the same uh, sign off. But before we end, I just want to quickly, for anyone listening, this is coming out. Um, I'm terrible with dates, but a, in a week or so from when we're recording this. But a week from when this comes out, uh, Emily and I are going to Mount Union University in Ohio to do a live podcast recording with their oh. One Voice series out there. So anyone in the West Ohio or East Ohio region, rather, uh, Alliance Ohio, come out and join us. We'd love to have you there. Marla, if you want to make a trip back up there, come join us. I, I do not, but thank you for the invite. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's gonna be, we're going to have stand-up comedy. Uh, wow. Dustin and Emily are both stand-up comedians as well, and so they're going to do oh, a little cool. comedy. We're going to talk a little about deconstruction, and we're going to do a live podcast. First time we've ever done it, so we're excited. Oh, fun. Um, Very we're fun. excited about that. So, cool. um, But friends, thank you for joining us, uh, and don't forget uh, to embrace the journey, and we'll see you later.